Welcome to the Women of Regenerative Ag podcast. This is a platform for the extraordinary women leading the regenerative agricultural movement and the transformation of our societies around the world. They are on the ground, creating critical shifts in seemingly intractable and highly unsustainable systems, and they have been doing so for a long time. I'm Aurora Flynn, creator of the show. In this series, we look to explore beyond the soil, to the underlying theme of transformation itself across size, scale, multiple dimensions, from that very internal landscape of human consciousness to the outer manifestation in the world around us, be it in the form of agricultural management practices, tools, and techniques, to culture, economics, policy, as well as the built environment. This series is a joint venture with Soil for Climate and my own organization, the Outer Borders Agency, where we work to help transform the human social infrastructure and the built environment to create truly resilient and regenerative societies. These recordings originally aired as interactive live stream interviews on social media. They were held during the initial months of the U.S. COVID lockdown, and due to limited facilities, we sometimes had to get creative with our locations and dealt with the occasional technical issue. Please enjoy these incredible women. You're listening to the Women of Regenerative Ag podcast. My guest today is Winona LaDuc, Executive Director of Honor the Earth. She is a rural development economist working in issues of economics, food, and energy sovereignty. She lives and works on the White Earth Reservation in northern Minnesota and leads several organizations, including Honor the Earth, Ashinabe Agriculture Institute, Aking, and Winona's Hemp. These organizations develop and model culturally-based sustainable development strategies utilizing renewable energy and sustainable food systems. She is an international thought leader in areas of climate justice, renewable energy, and environmental justice. She is also a leader in the work of protecting indigenous plants and heritage foods from patenting and genetic engineering. She has authored six books, including Recovering the Sacred, All Our Relations, Last Standing Woman, and her newest work, The Winona LaDuke Chronicles. Winona, thank you so much for being here. We know your time is precious, and we're so grateful you're sharing some of it with us today. Yeah, thanks for asking me. You sounded like a group of women I wanted to hang out with, so yes. I came on your show. <laughs> I came in from the field. I picked corn and tomatoes and cucumbers this morning and, bland- and roasted a bunch of chilies. See, this is- I'm still kind of chilly, chilly-like. <laughs> we love it. We've got Precious in Zimbabwe, who's on the show before you with us now. She just had a beautiful baby. This is the feeling of remarkable women around the world on the ground doing the work and then showing up to have a good conversation and share some of this magic with everybody else who's on the ground doing the work. So thank you. Um, the first thing I wanted to get into uh, was resilience on the reservation there and talk about um, the productions you've got going on and the greater vision uh, for uh, White Earth, if you'd share that with us. Sure, I mean, obviously our people fed ourselves for tens of thousands of years. So, you know, um, we still have a pretty strong subsistence economy here where our wild rice, we're just going into that harvest. You know, we got 47 lakes and 500 bodies of water. We have the largest wild rice in our in the world is over here. It's the only place in the world that grows and so, you know, we got we we have this ability to feed ourselves, and and we're kind of growing that out now because colonial took a lot of our land and our best farmland and agricultural 
chemicals are messing up some of our, our stuff. And so, you know, we're both in a battle to reclaim our food systems and then in this battle to really keep them. Because, uh, uh, you know, on a worldwide scale, indigenous people are about 4% of the world's population, but about 75% of the world's biodiversity. And that biodiversity is like having a garden, you know, berries, uh, wild rice, all kind of, you know, medicines. And, uh, you know, so we're, we're just trying to take care of that. And we're just in harvest now. Like I said, we're just starting our wild rice harvest up here. It looks good. Looks good. Pray, pray for the best, you know, because a big rain, a big, big storm could take out a rice, a lot of rice. But yeah. Beautiful. Can you tell us about Winona's hemp and your vision for, or for sustainable fiber there and greater practices with the Ishinabe Agricultural Institute, what that partnership yeah. is? Okay, so just to back up, I've been farming for like 30 years, you know, and I'm not like, you know, probably like a lot of cool people farmer, like I farm, farm mostly subsistence and then I farm for my community. And today I picked a lot of corn for my grandchildren's school, Pine Point Elementary School. They, they don't really have, they have a federal school lunch program. And so we're bringing them tomatoes and corn. And then next we bring them rice and food, you know, cherry tomatoes, they like that. But my, my point is that I grow basically corn, beans, squash, potatoes, Jerusalem artichokes. Those are all heritage foods. It turns out nobody knew this, but tomatoes are actually indigenous to the Americas too. I didn't you know, know that either. Right, to, think, think about this, to model, Potatal, avocado, and chocolatl. Mm. Right, nahuatl. That's those are nahuatl words from northern Mexico. All of those, you know. And so, indigenous agrobiodiversity, thousand varieties of potatoes. Those are mostly stay down in Peru in that big potato, the potato research center, and then uh, all kind of you know varieties of uh, of uh, you know corn. And so, I've been working mostly with with corn varieties that are kind of ready for climate change. Oh, I'm gonna worry about my little, my thing going out here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you okay. Okay, Ease, I just realized I might have to jump to a different computer. This might die on me. You let me um, know. I'm also gonna get people geared up. Everybody who's listening now, please go ahead and ask your questions. Seth is asking me to remind you all, just enter mm -hmm. them and we'll get mm -hmm. them to Winona. Mm-hmm, yep, so, um, We've been growing all those and then I decided to move into fiber because I got kind of, uh, I was noticing what was going on. And so I've been a hemp grower for five years. I have a state permit. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're good. I have a state permit to grow hemp, state of Minnesota permit. I've been growing for five years. I grow fiber varieties because I'm interested in uh, getting petroleum out of our, our fossil fuels out of our fabric out of our world. And, uh, you know, I can see what's happening. We all know what's happening here is that um, the, you know, fossil fuels are slathered on our food and you take something even like cotton. And, you know, so today I'm wearing cotton and hemp basically, but cotton is about 4% of the world's agricultural land and 24% of the world's agricultural chemicals. And it takes about four times as much water to grow an acre of cotton than it does to grow an acre of hemp. So, you know, why wouldn't you try to rebuild a hemp economy? It makes a lot of ecological sense. And so I've been growing for five years and, and with the criminalization of marijuana, um, hemp was basically wiped out in Minnesota and nationally. Minnesota used to have 11 hemp mills. And so 
When Let was just, that, Winona? Because I think that surprises a lot of people. 1940s, they closed down the hemp industry, criminalized it. Yeah. Until the 1940s, they were still making hemp uniforms. And, you know, I, I mean, people told me I could sell hemp to the, to the military. I said, I'm not going to sell the military anything. <laughs> but, you know, it's a good, it's antimicrobial and it's durable. And, um, you know, it's really the plant that you want. So I'm, I've been growing for five years and I'm working on, I'm not going to make a million bucks. A lot of people got into hemp and cannabis because they want to make a million bucks. You know, I'm talking to someone in California, so you know that. You know, I'm a proponent of legalization and, and everything, but, um, you know, what I'm interested in is the new green revolution. And that's what I call hemp because it has the potential to transform this world. And that's what I want to do. I want to transform the materials economy away from oil uh, back to hemp and back to a less wasteful economy. You know, Absolutely. so that's our work at Winona's Hemp and Anishinaabe Agriculture. You know, we are, we are in this region and we're working with like five growers from five different tribes right now and trying to grow out our older our varieties and then match them with feral varieties that still exist in our reservations because, uh, you know, it was criminalized everywhere, but uh, we still got feral varieties. And if they hung out for 70 years, just on their own, they're gonna be good for growing up here. And um, we have a lot of land, not my tribe, but tribes to the West have a lot of land. And a lot of that is, you know, if you wanna talk about land justice, a lot of our land was stolen. And, uh, you know, it'd be good to get some, you know, be able to derive some income from it so so is that that's a little bit about our our hemp yeah no it's fantastic so the, the idea is sort of the business model is to is to propagate this on multiple reservations and to yeah. all i'm trying to build an indigenous hemp cooperative that's what i thought okay you know i mean i'm i'm gonna grow i'm a i'm a i'm a good farmer pretty good grower but i'm not trying to grow that acreage what i want to build is the value added chain yeah. So we aren't just growing. So we're processing and milling and that we're taking our seeds and, and making more hemp out of it and making maybe hemp milk. And I'm working on, you know, I developed, we, we worked with some people to get a pasta variety. I'm looking for a pasta partner. If anybody wants to be my pasta partner, I need a pasta miller. Um, you know, I'm interested in making high quality food and other products for my hemp. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's it that's enough it's beautiful um i'm going to double check with seth if there's any questions about textiles it's going into what people are asking um you are getting a mill up and running right we're working on it we don't have we looked around the world nobody's got a mill in in north america and we are on our way to look in belgium uh when covid hit because <laughs> oh, i think the equipment is overseas and i'd like to go look overseas and work with someone to build a mill here that's with appropriate technology and is, just, is sustainable because I'm, I'm not interested in, you know, adding a bunch of chemicals to my hemp. Yeah. You know, why would I do that? Yeah. I want to do the right thing. And I know that 70 years ago, they say that we had a choice between a, uh, they say that we had a choice between a carbohydrate economy and a hydrocarbon economy carbohydrate economy and a hydrocarbon economy we made the wrong choice yeah i think that's interesting to think about um making the choice to go for uh the words are so close but a carbohydrate economy is hemp anything you can do out of oil you can mm. do out of hemp absolutely 
uh, Winona, John Rulak, who actually has his own, who runs the Hemp Apothecary, Sustainable Hemp Development, he's asking, are you growing any hemp seeds for food? He said, it's easy well, on I, us. I intend, yeah, I intend to use some of my seed for food, but the problem is then processing. You know, if someone wants to partner with some tribes, you know, a lot of Thanks. people want to do this, but they want to make a million bucks. I want to build a cooperative where the, where tribal producers can make some money. And uh, we don't have the value added production now. And that's what I need. We need some friends on that are, are good, you know, want to do socially responsible business. Because yeah. I think we're done. You know, I call this the, the new green revolution. I didn't like the last green revolution. Yeah. I don't think most of the world did. And I didn't much like the last economy. It didn't do much for most people. Yeah. did a lot for some privileged white people we want a new economy and we want it to be done right and with the earth and with people so that's what i'm on you know and if people want to work with us that'd be awesome yeah i think as we get into regenerative business models this is something we really have to question people constantly go for the idea of growth bigger better gdp keep increasing but what you're talking about is thriving on a level mm -hmm. and not actually continuing to strip down in other capacities because a constant growth does do that, but we don't often factor in that impact. Um, all right, let's see, other questions coming in. Um, well, so what about um, in the business you say, in Winona's Hemp, you say it's local and organic and led by women. Why women? Because uh, most of the people who work with me are women, but not sound true, you know, because I, I got a lot of guys, you know, so, a lot of people, you know, I work up here on the reservation. We've been at this for 30 years, most of my life. I'm 61. I turned 61 this last week. Happy birthday. And I've been working, uh, doing this work for 30 some years in my community. And we're families, extended families, men and women. Um, a lot of the work at the farm is, is women though. And um, I actually believe that the last economy, you know, I think that white men should be done making decisions. I think that they had enough time. They've illustrated a lack of, of good thinking, good decision-making and got us into quite a pickle. So I just wanna send them to the bench. And I think that there's a lot of other people that could do a better job and we should step up. So can I ask you about indigenous feminism then? Cause in your book, uh, Winona LaDuke Chronicles, you talk about indigenous feminism, the idea being we don't want another piece of the pie. We want an entirely different pie. What's that different pie? I think it's regenerative agriculture. I okay. think it's re reaffirming, you know, I mean, and it's interesting because COVID, you know, this pandemic, I like how Erin Dottie Roy talks about this time and she talks about how pandemics cause change, change the course of history, you know, and, and at no point, you know, did we see this coming with all them smart guys out there. And so here we are, and what, what a pandemic does is it, it, it brings countries to their knees, you know, industries to their knees. Everything that was is no longer. And so they built a globalized world economy that enabled COVID to move within like, you know, to 72 countries within a week. That wasn't good. You know, big is better sometimes, but not anymore. Turns out that big systems can't transform. You know, and all of this happened because of a bat. You know, I think about that and I think of the, in, the, in the future, maybe our descendants, you know, we have a lot of histories, stories about these little creatures that nobody thought much of, little muskrats that changed the world. 
And this, this came from a bat. This virus came from a bat. Nobody really thought about that bat and the biodiversity they were crushing with all their industrial projects. Well, it turns out you start going where the wild things are, you should just leave that alone. Leave it alone where the wild things are. And if you don't, if you go in there, some things that might bad ha might happen to you. Now, indigenous people will tell you that we've been saying that for a couple hundred years, but nobody listened to us because we're indigenous people and scientists and policymakers are so much smarter. But this this pandemic forced us to change our world. And people talk about they want to uh, go back to normal. We don't want it to go back to normal. Normal was dysfunctional. You want to relocalize. Industrial food systems can't take care of us. They they crushed you know, eggs, tomatoes, poured out milk, killed animals, destroyed eggs, you know, because they don't have a food system that works right anymore. So relocalization is the antidote to globalization. And that's this moment we're in. And, you know, Aaron Dottie Roy talks about, you, in, in, you know, that a pandemic is a portal. She talks about pandemic as portal and says, you know, in that portal, you know, you can you can drag your dirty skies, your avarice, your racism, your hatred. You can drag that all through. You could drag it through the portal or you can walk through clean. Yeah. I think we should walk through clean. You know, yeah. that's what I think. And I'm ready. I'm ready to walk through with the new green revolution and a relocalized economy. We're building solar thermal panels, heat houses, you know, okay. up here on our reservation. We, you know, we got a lot of people working on the next economy and we're all ready. We need some more resources to support it. But, you know, all I know is, is that I can't, I never did trust those big companies to heat me or feed me. <laughs> I think it's better to take care of that stuff yourself, you know? <laughs> yeah. You and I were talking about haters last week and hating. Um, as we kind of go into election season and we're coming through this portal, I feel like I'm seeing people who are natural allies. Something I always hear you say is that we're all in the same canoe together. Don't waste your hate. Don't waste your hate. That's what my nephew, Nako Bear, says. We got a lot of things to do. Let's be positive and take care of people. You know, but I see what's happening out there. I think it's like social cannibalism. People get all isolated and angry and fearful, and they start just like ripping apart each other. You know, I don't want to be part of that stuff. I want to treat people good and be respectful. And our social movements don't need to be all tearing each other apart. We need to hold each other accountable for sure. But, you know, we need to be healing each other and not, and not taking this moment. You know, sometimes I don't even like that Facebook. Everybody acts like an equal there. They make up all kind of preposterous stuff and act like it's true. You know, I don't know. I'm just going to do my best. That's all I know. I love it because you talk about coming through a portal and with the fires in California, like this last week, it felt like a constant choice. Are you bringing through fear and hate? Or are you rallying and loving community hard and strong and going, I got you? Like, what's the choice right there? Well, um, the other thing is, is that, is that, you know, at this moment, this is a transformational moment. Let's transform. If you want to, you know, if you don't want to transform, I'm sorry, but this is your time. There is, there, it's like, there are catastrophes of biblical proportions. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you didn't get the memo that it's time to shift up your stuff from a spiritual level to a how you live and how much entitled you are to stuff that you import from around the world. If you didn't get the memo that it's time to like sharpen up your stuff, 
you know, maybe you better go back and get your glasses, mm -hmm. you know? And I'm looking out there and then, and then I think about these fires and I feel bad about that, man. I cry, we all cried, you know, on all these fires. We cry, we cry and we see you. The sun is red at night. The sun is red from the fires of the West. Mm. I've never seen a time like that, but I saw Alberta burning. I saw the Northwest burning here in Minnesota. We see your fires, you know? And, and so we feel it. But what I want to say is, is that, you know, half of this stuff, if they, if they listened to indigenous people, we wouldn't have it, you know, because there's this mythology that we was just hanging around waiting for white people to come and civilize us. Well, we was taking care of business, like taking care of our mother earth by carefully and selectively burning. Our people have a whole history of burning, you know, even our word, mushkaday, Meshkadeh is our word for prairie, which refers to where the burned medicines are, because our people exercised, you know, controlled burns. Well, the wisdom of white men was don't burn, because Smokey the Bear's here. And so you got these multi-storied canopies and a whole bunch of tinder, you know, burns up Australia last year. And I was looking at, you know, I was looking at this story of the Aboriginal burning practices. You know, cultural burns are cooler and slower moving, moving, mm -hmm. usually no higher than knee high, leaving tree canopies untouched. Oh yeah. In Northern Australia during those burns, they burned 57 fewer acres than in previous years. And that's where the indigenous people, the Aboriginal people had managed the land for fire. Mm -hmm. You know, Aboriginal rangers saved portions of Australia, but you know, being treated like third-class citizens in your own country, all rest of Australia just burned, but any place that Aboriginal people had, had, had protected, you know, and you figure this Aboriginal people in Australia elsewhere, you know, this is a quote from Alexis Wright from the Whiny Nation. He wrote in New York Times op-ed, Aboriginal people in this country firmly believe that we are the longest surviving culture in the world. We're raised with the knowledge that our ancestors have adapted to climatic traditions here for millennia. Yet our knowledge of caring for land is questioned and largely ignored. In the face of catastrophic fires, Australia's leaders need to recognize the depth and value of Aboriginal knowledge and incorporate that into hazard management. You know, they have some baffling logic. And then there was this article in Smithsonian about this same thing. On one hand, these types of knowledge, Indigenous knowledge, are valued when they support or supplement archaeological or other scientific knowledge. But when the situation is reversed, when traditional knowledge is seen to challenge scientific truths, when its utility is questioned, is its utility is questioned or dismissed as myth. Science is promoted as objective, quantifiable, and the foundation. Traditional knowledge is not is not seen as such. So what I'm saying is, is like maybe y'all should listen, because you know I don't want to say I told you so or we told you so, but we want we want things to be better. You know we don't want to see the world burn. You know those are our relatives, those animals and trees too. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, there's a question coming in from uh, here in Michigan, Chippewa country. I'm, uh, hold on a second. Let me get it loaded on my phone. Um, this one actually is going to go into hemp as well. I want to, before I go back to that, um, we've got we've got some amazing conservancies the last couple of years that actually have tribal councils is what they call them, but it's really spiritual traditionalists of the local Wapo, Miwok and Wintu people that come together with scientists to co-manage and co uh, 
tend landscapes that were their ancestral homes that are their ancestral homes. Um, and we're starting to see burns come back because of that. We're starting to see that tending of the wild in that way that grew the grandmother oaks around here in these ancient redwood trees in right. that capacity. But you don't have state parks picking up. You don't have federal on that level. Um, and then you have people without the resources or the knowledge to actually do that. But there is a resurgence in California of sort of honoring, um, honoring the tribal wisdoms around how to tend the landscape that they cultivated and created. It wasn't no. just discovered in this form. Yeah. We are all in one canoe. Yeah. You know, we need to all work together, you know, yeah. when we want to do the right thing. And I, I'm saying like some of these native people really know their stuff. You know, yeah. I was out looking at wild rice beds and I go around, you know, I know a lot, but I always go ask those old timers, you know, yeah. and they know all kinds of stuff, you know, like when the rice is how, when it's kind of warm now, climate change is changing our rice, but what we got is agrobiodiversity and biodiversity, which is what natural systems have, not, not industrial forest systems, yeah. not industrial ag, you yeah. know? And so our work is largely like, we know we could protect some rice because a storm won't hit there. A blight will protect this one because it's a little bit different, yeah. you know? And we know the same thing with our crop varieties. I'm spending a lot of time trying to figure out what grows in climate change and how to grow food during a time of climate change. Well. On a worldwide scale, who has the agrobiodiversity is indigenous people. And yeah. on a worldwide scale, about 70% of the world's food is produced by peasant farmers, local farmers, farmers markets, and indigenous people, not yeah. Monsanto, Syngenta, and you know, KFC. What? They don't produce most of the world's food. You yeah. know, so we, we got all these seeds and you know, Syngenta, Monsanto, they're gonna spend millions. I think it's 36 million each per crop variety for climate change. That stuff ain't gonna work. They're going to be a monocrop of crazy. You know, what you need is them old varieties, you know, the old varieties because they're smart. Those plants are smart. Yeah. I think this is why I kept wondering about like recently with the fires, but also when you start looking at the way colonialism took over, industrial ag took over and started running out food and fiber and food and fiber that was used for regalia. Like it just seemed like a continuation of genocidal practices, even if that wasn't the intent. Like that was my feeling this week, listening to some of the tribes speak about uh, the lack of diversity of species that was around because of the lack of land practices by their people. Um, I have a guy, Paul, he's asking, um, he says here in Michigan, Chippewa country, I'm growing corn, beans, squash, sunflower, and tomatoes and peppers. He said, where can I get good hemp seeds to grow my own hemp food? Well, my it. varieties are fiber varieties. You know, okay. go look around. There's plenty of it. People want to know how you're measuring soil carbon, uh, et cetera, and stuff like that. Or, or well, I can you know, I'll let me just talk about that for a minute. So, absolutely. You know, I'm working on this. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm a farmer, but my I was raised. You know, my father, my stepfather's name was Peter Westergaard. And um, he was an entomologist for the state of Oregon, and he worked at an agricultural research station. Mm. So I was raised kind of at an agricultural research station. So what I'm working on is trying to figure out how to grow hemp, first mm. of all, how to grow real tall fiber hemp. And I don't know why we don't know those pictures, but if you go to our website, we got some pictures, and I, I don't know how to share a frame here. I could have, I suppose. But we, uh, oh. we grow these, you know, so I'm trying to grow good. It takes a whole bunch of, um, nitrogen, you know, so it's kind of like growing corn. 
because it grows really tall. And so I've been working with fish emulsion and, and horse manure. Horse manure seems to be my ticket for everything. And uh, <laughs> you know, it turns out that hemp kind of co-evolved with horses from the same world, part of the world. Pretty interesting. The evolution and movement of hemp was closely related to the movement of horses as a fiber product. Super interesting. So anyway, it seems to like them. And then, um, so I, I keep trying to grow it. And then I didn't have no pests or anything like that. And I do grow some CBD varieties for, you know, mostly for medicinal ver versions for our community. And my tribe did just pass and legalize medical. You That's know, and so I'm, I'm hoping that one day I could be a grower for my community because I like growing. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty good grower, I guess, but you know, I all grow outside. But, um, you know, so, so now um, what I'm working on is trying to figure out what the rotation is. And I did grow some in the same, it, it perennialized and as evidenced by the feral varieties, it will perennialize if it's good enough soil. And so I'm kind of trying to figure out if there's a way to re-perennialize it in some way that you don't have to do a lot of agriculture work, you just gotta, you just gotta harvest it. But I don't think that's gonna happen. I'm just trying different times. And then um, I'm looking at, you know, for people who are looking at the fiber hemp thing, you know, I got a fiber hemp skirt on here, but you know, everything that we're buying at those cool expos, it's all coming from California, or it's all coming from China through California, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it's cool that the Chinese got this industry still, but we should be growing it in North America because we're the largest importers of hemp products in the world. And so, you know, what kind of backwards country is the United States? Oh, super backwards, because everything <laughs> we make, we import from China. And I love, I love, you know, everybody, but that's a dumb economy, you know, to be that. And we sh saw that during COVID because of the big, you know, the shutdowns that globalization isn't great. But more yeah. than that, you know, hemp is really something that, that has such a versatile ability. And so, you know, I'm looking at how to grow it in a way all chemical free, you know, and, and work and, and then it does sequester carbon. That's what people are talking about. Yeah. Um, that, um, you know, it grows really quickly. And it also is something that they've been using for bioremediation. And so I sent like mm -hmm. this year, I sent hemp varieties off to uh, Cheyenne River Reservation and to Rosebud Reservation and Navajo Reservation and Oneida Reservation and Red Lake Reservation. Mm maybe a couple more. Mm. I sent them out there to see like how they would grow and if they were mixing them with their local varieties and everybody's just learning together, you know, mm. and, and the next economy is about cooperation. It's not about competition. If you had enough competition, you guys should be done. You know, nobody won. From what I can see, nobody won that one, yeah. you know, so I like to just figure out how to eat and think together and be, you know, I, 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 I you know, we talk about it as a new green revolution because hemp has that ability to just transform so much. And, yeah. you know, so just take something like, so we're growing hemp. And if I, if we grew it, it's, you know, could be replaced paper products that, that protect, you know, protect a lot of trees, mm -hmm. you know, cause it grows super fast. And so it's like four times as much fiber per acre as what they use it for paper. And then, you know, you do something like hempcrete now, I'm trying to do a cob, um, I'm trying to do hemp cob and hempcrete. And we got like a, uh, some guy going to help us make a hempcrete um, greenhouse, but I want to do a cob house because I got this fiber that we didn't use from a couple, like last year, but it's good fiber. And I'm, I sent a bunch to Navajo weavers. And so they're, they're, they're going to issue a line of textiles this fall with our hemp and churro sheep. 
you know, wow. like just really d divine products that are going to come out, you know, but that's kind of the scale we're working at. But if you want to scale up, if you want to be revolutionary, you got to do millions of acres of hemp. You're not doing a little boutique. I'm making some yeah. stuff to sell. You got to be revolutionary. And I don't think California is the place to do that. I think the Northern Plains is the place to do that because they, they're, you know, we're already wasting all this linen, all this flax, we're burning it because we don't process it. We just, you know, we just live in a bunch of polyesters, which is the dumbest thing ever when you got like hemp and linen or flax and you could make a, a, a local fiber economy, a North American fiber economy. So that takes a lot of people, a lot of working together and, mm -hmm. you know, everything from the fiber itself to, like I said, you know, concrete's I think like the fourth or fifth largest CO2 producing industry. It's like the equivalent of like countries. Concrete is like one of the single largest industrial uses of carbon. Mm. And if you could replace concrete with hempcrete, mm. you know, you could carbon sequester. So that's why I'm on, you know, I'm all about hemp. And I want to work with everybody, but, you know, don't waste my time with a lot of promotional stuff because uh, I'm interested <laughs> in, in the revolution. I'm not interested in, you know, how much money I can make off of some little pill of CBD, you know. Yeah. I think it really bad. I think it blows people's minds how versatile hemp is, how many mm -hmm. solutions it really offers. It really is a panacea that is really viable. Um, Seth says, uh, oh, what somebody wants to know what hempcrete is. How do you make, how do you make a hempcrete from hemp? Like, what does that look like? Well, ask me in about a month. But you know, <laughs> what I know is, is that it's with lime, you know, uh, mm. so it stabilizes, it's stabilized with lime. Look it up online. I want to say go to see, talk to Google. But you know, my, my point is, is that is that hempcrete is, uh, you know, it's it's used for, um, you know, you you, but you need the herd. And so for people who don't really get it, this is the story: yeah. is is that most people just smoke the bud. Yeah. And that's a certain variety. These are all cannabis sativa. Right. Every one of them. You know, but one of those varieties is this one that I got, which, you know, I'm growing like six or seven varieties from Romania and the Czech Republic and France and Italy, mm. you know, and I'm mixing it in with some of our indigenous varieties because my tribe grew for a few years. So I'm just trying to see what grows here and what could turn into a good fiber. And I just sent off some fiber, some fiber to a group here, you know, hoping that they might be able to process it. We sent some to Europe and, you know, we was all ready to go. We got our seeds in from Europe and I was all happy and, and then bam, you know, COVID. So, yeah. you know, our plans too, because we might've had a solution right now, but we don't, you know, I'm working on it, working on it. But, you know, what I know is, is that, is that the herd is the inside, the pithy inside, which is kind of like wood chips, think mm -hmm. of wood chips. And that fiber is the outside cover of the long, tall, looks like bamboo plant. And most of us have been into the bud, you know, <laughs> but what we're after, and then there's the seed. The yeah. seed is what you get hemp milk out of, you get oil out of, you get hemp hearts, all kind of amino acids. So I'm interested, of course, in growing something that I could eat and make fabric out of. But, you know, we'll see how that goes. Like yeah. my main interest is really in the, in the fabric or in the textiles. And, um, you know, um, I've been working really fortunately with these, these people at the Lyft Economy. You know, I yeah. can't thank them enough. You know, yeah. they're over there in California, probably just right down the road from you. But man, you know, our our Erin Axelrod, she just works so hard <laughs> trying to work. She's a girlfriend. I know her, huh? She's my friend. So oh like, my gosh, <laughs> what a great woman. You're so grateful to her. You know, she's always finding great this woman. and that. And, 
You know, because I'm a, you know, I mean, you all know me. I mean, I don't know if y'all know me, but, you know, basically, I'm a good community organizer. I'm a pretty good farmer. But, you know, I started looking up these numbers and trying to figure out, like, the yeah. tinsel, you know, and I don't know. Some of that stuff is just, you know, I was like, is it strong or not? Does it break or not? <laughs> you know, you've got to know all kind of stuff. So, yeah. you know, thanks to the lift economy for a lot well, of work on this. And then, you know. Yeah. It's really an incredible moment because we're working, like I say, with Navajo rug weavers and then these tribes that really want to transform their economy. And like, so one thing that interests me is, is like, what if you could make like fuel, pe fuel pellets for stoves? Yeah. Yeah. Out of, out, out of the a hemp herd, yeah. you know, because you've got this Northern Plains tribes cold as heck. The white man <laughs> took their buffalo that used to heat their lodges and they don't have no trees and they sit there in a cold as heck you know, could use solar, but they, you know, I think that maybe you could make hemp fuel pellets. I don't know. But, yeah. you know, someone should make those, but really who should make those is Rosebud Reservation, Pine Ridge. You know, there's mm. a lot of really cool non-Indian entrepreneurs in California. You know, maybe this economy, you just support us and you sit out a little bit and don't take all the profit this time. Figure out how a tribe could benefit from it instead of be exploited. That'd be awesome. The next economy should be about justice, you know? And, and this is our opportunity to like all be good, to all be good with each other, you know? Yeah, I'd really like to see that world. And I think a lot of us would, um, particularly people listening today. I think you're, you're, you're tapping on something we hit a lot on this show, Winona, is sort of the different, um, the different incredible folks in different parts of organizations required to actually, actually create a regenerative agricultural system, right? Like these incredible folks, Aaron, at you know, lift economy and then you get i mean there's got to be different sections that need to move and we all have our area of expertise and we all got to work together on it to do a one two three heap ho and create a new system um and then there's policy the policy wonks we had uh renata brillinger from calcam like that's that's her area um yeah i mean and i also want to see questions like the thing really bothers me, I've been on these, you know, I mean, I've been on a lot of things talking about hemp because I'm really interested in it, but like people are talking about the 0.3%, you know, and it's really punishing to a plant, you know, that it, your plant goes hot 0.3%, you got to burn your crop. Now, so far, I didn't have that problem. I've grown for five years, you know, but these varieties aren't stable, you know, and so we're trying our best, but if something looks like bamboo and it comes in at 1%, mm. don't burn it. Got you know, you. don't burn it. I mean, my, pro my problem with this is that everybody who's listening to this show knows that why would you go smoke my 1% hemp plant when you could just go to a dispensary and get 22% THC? No idiot smokes hemp, mm. you know? It's not gonna do nothing for you if you're trying to get high. You know, the medicinal value, yeah, but these are medicinal plants. And so I think that the industry needs to push against, obviously not in the Trump administration, but tribes, tribes should take the leadership on setting new standards. Mm. You know, we're looking for a variety and no one's trying to smoke my field. In fact, I got a sign up in my field that says hemp, not marijuana, don't bother. <laughs> you know, I mean, dumb. Don't, and don't, put your, don't try to put your hydro marijuana plant in my field. It's got all kinds of male plants in it and it's gonna raise heck with your females and they're gonna have a good time and you're not gonna have anything you could smoke, you know? <laughs> so. Oh, we have a lot of fun talking about sex and plants out here. I got all these kids, you know, I quarantined with like eight kids, you know, these teenagers. And so we're in the hemp and we're talking about, you know, plant sex and male parts and female parts and all kind of stuff. And, you know, fun.
this is agriculture and ranching. This is what we do. And the general public gets really uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> There's sex with plants. God forbid. Um, sex. Yeah, I think people really mistake. I, I think there was a video out Patagonia did that you were a part of that talks about sort of the species of, of hemp and marijuana being akin to like a Chihuahua and a Great Dane. Like we're yeah. totally different animals here. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, there's a, any e-bike use that you know of yet on, on regenerative farms. I actually don't know what e-bike is. Do you? Mm -mm. Yeah, no idea. Seth, if you could clarify that, that would be great. Um, Seth also posted a, a, a visual on the Hemp Creek um, as a result of the- Yeah, and if you go to Winona's Hemp, there's a bunch of photos of our farm. But we, you know, the other thing is if you look at our photos, yeah. it is mostly women, you know, women and kids, you know? I mean, we, everybody works in there, but geez, my horse team. I mean, we put in our crops with horses, you know? Do you? And the other thing that is super interesting is that we live right, we, you know, my reservation is right by the, the Amish moved into our reservation community right south of us so like i quarantined right next to the amish and those guys are super local and and i got one amish farmer growing some of my hemp and my corn and he put it in with my horses is that cool or what that's very cool mm -hmm. i love yeah. hearing you that. know i don't have no pictures of that you don't take pictures of the amish but you know i'm, I'm interested in building like a, a multiracial economy mm -hmm. you know that rural economy and i'm i'm all for the amish i mean they're pretty interesting you know because they're questions of scale and technology are questions we never talk about. Yeah. You know, does it affect your community? How will this technology change your community? Yeah. You know, what is enough? You know, I bought, I, I don't want to tell you all this, but I got a quart of cream, quart of cream from my Amish neighbor, three bucks, quart of cream. <laughs> I was like, no, it should be more. She said, no, that's enough. enough. <laughs> you know, who the heck says we have enough? Yeah. Right? Yeah. We need to say that. I got enough. I'm good. Yeah. All good. Got enough. Yeah. I think that's something Aaron and I, Aaron Axelrod and, and the women and the, and the men we have here in Sonoma County, California, really appreciate about one another is the abundant, abundance exchange on different levels. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like the, the reciprocity, the giving, the nourishment and the receiving of food, of textiles or whatever you've gathered, wild harvest, what can we bring to the table? And it doesn't, it's what feels right. It's not, eight dollars you know it's like this i'm going to give you this pot of jam and you're going to give me with that fish you got from the sea like yeah i mean yeah. i trade with them i bring them surplus food because we pick up some surplus food at the grocery store like amazing what they throw out but you and i know that they throw out 40 percent of the food in america right yeah so i bring that to my amish neighbors because i got a car you know that's how it started i was like ah oh, we can't eat all this lettuce um no indian's gonna eat all that lettuce but they had <laughs> So I brought the, you know, and now I end up with their goats helping with my yard because goats are really good fresh hogs. Yeah. <laughs> they really you know, are. but then I'm going to ship them back to the Amish, you know, and get some milk in the spring. But, you know, so we set up kind of a trade. I get goat yeah. milk from them. I make goat cheese. Yeah. I bring them produce. I borrow their goats to clean my yard. Yeah. You know, and, and then I, you know, we, I, we shop a lot with them and I bring them new customers. You know, it's pretty fun, you know, actually, but then we learn, you know, we, we're, we're learning together about the hemp and they're super interested. I bought some Amish technology to clean um, hemp, clean cannabis, basically. You leave wow. it to the Amish, you leave it to the Amish. You know, you need your bud <laughs> clean, contact me. I got some Amish equipment, let me tell you. Mm -hmm. 
And now I'm going to build some Amish equipment to process that hemp because I don't think anybody can do it but the Amish anymore. My new, wow. my new thing. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Stay yeah. tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned I, on our on our Amish, on our, on our hopes and prayers for the Amish. Yeah, I love this because I think this goes back to what you and I were talking about and sort of feeling frustrated with haters and cancel culture. Like, here's this beautiful reciprocal relationship coming out. Do you have to have the same beliefs? No. Do you have to? But you have a shared value system of of being able to meet the minds there and support the healing of what's happening and move into something new. I'm really kind of blown at allies I thought would be, you know, that want to create a better world shutting each other down and separating each other and pushing away as opposed to going, it's the right. 11th hour, let's go. Right, and like, you know, the thing is you hung out with me, I'm human. I made mistakes, <laughs> I'm 61 years old. You know, <laughs> I hurt some people, I'm not perfect. Yeah. You know, I wasted some stuff. I had a very high carbon footprint until 2020. <laughs> I flew around. I actually just wrote this essay called Back When I Flew, you know, cause I don't fly anymore. Awesome. Super fun. I'm having a great time just being local. I always knew that would happen though. I was kind of afraid of getting off the road. I was like, oh, maybe I don't even want to go anywhere. It's true. <laughs> you know, thank God for this Zoom thing. You know, you can visit people. But my point is, is, is that these are these times to be epic and do good stuff. Now, you know, do we have any way for redemption? You know, what do we do? We just throw people away. We don't like something they did one time. And then we trash them. I just went through this like massive attempt at character assassination, you know? <laughs> the group pollination y'all should look it up she's gone after every indian person you know out there and what is lateral oppression about you know and then i was like what kind of journalism is that where it's like one-sided character assassination with a bunch of hearsay evidence you know she was I, you know i know we're not supposed to talk about this but she was like and your father when my father's name was sunbear a lot of people knew him a lot of people knew him he was he was well known in, in Indian country and outside of Indian country. She said, I heard that your, you know, she said your father was rumored to have slept with young women. I was like, he's been dead since 1992. Mm. Let him rest in peace. Mm. You know, at what, at what point, at what point should I be the responsible for an adult man's behavior who has yeah. been dead for 30 years? At no point, you know, people, you know, Things are things happen, and we need to figure out how to how to heal. And then also, you know, I hear some of these same people. You know, someone was saying, well, they heard that that um, Mahatma Gandhi was not faithful to his wife. Right. Did you hear that rumor too? I was yeah. like, you know, I don't really care. Yeah. I don't really know nothing about Mahatma Gandhi and if he was faithful to his wife. Yeah. You know, we're human. We yeah. don't always do things right. Yeah. You know, and and so I want to try to be the best person. You know, and, and in my case, I've been executive director of Native organizations for 30 years. And in that 30 years that I've been executive director, I do my best, you know, but. <laughs> hold, hold on one second here. Hold on one second. Hello. I'm on a live interview. It's You're on true. it too. How Hi. are you? <laughs> Okay, well, you can't put it in because I got corn there. <laughs> My favorite part. Okay. Oh man, I don't know, Ronnie. Maybe just wait on it till I get there. Cause I'm in, I'm doing a live interview. I cannot talk to you about where the shed moved right now. 
<laughs> Bye. <laughs> you like that? I love it. No, I'm so here. Sorry. No, don't be. Look, what I really love, Winona, is that you are real. And I think this is part of the thing that people miss a lot. And the reason people take snipes like that is that they want to pedestalize people, right? They want to say, Gandhi's yeah. untouchable, MLK's untouchable. I'm going to deny their humanity, right? Either yeah. we have a culture that either smashes people to the ground so they can dehumanize and, and take power, take resources, or we have people, uh, or the flip side, and it's the same thing, to dehumanize and elevate and go, you are above. And then when we figure out you're actually human, which we all freaking are, yeah, we, we all are. We all are. Yeah. We tear yeah. them down. Yeah. yeah. It's a I mean, I had a laugh. This woman was like questioning if I was really native. I was like, well, my father was an enrolled tribal member. I'm an enrolled tribal member. My grandchildren are enrolled tribal member. I don't even know you. It's kind of like the birther movement. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like that birther movement. And I was like, you know, which is kind of like so what some of this stuff is like in Indian country. There's no need for that. Yeah. You know, these are people in our communities. And they might have to have that pedigree. You know, I'm enrolled, so I don't know what y'all talking about. But yeah. you know, they might not have some pedigree or in California, they don't enroll you because there's so much money for casinos. Yeah. These are real indigenous people. These yeah. are real indigenous people. And they aren't all on paper or a number. And we yeah. honor, you know, our ancestors and we do our best to, to follow their footsteps and make them, I hate to have my, my grandmas look down on me and wince because I treated someone badly like that. I wouldn't do that. You know, yeah. let's be better people, yeah. you know, because well, we see what, what, you know, those guys that we don't like do, we don't want to do that, you know, so I'm yeah. just saying, all those wonderful women out there, I love you, you know, let us be better <laughs> together, you know, and, 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 and the other thing is, is let's be honest, I raise a lot of men, you know, and I want to raise good men, I've yes. raised four sons, and I got like all grandsons, a lot of grandsons, Thank so you. what am I supposed to do? I ain't going to hate on them. Yeah. I'm going to do my best to raise good men. Yeah. You know, because what woman doesn't want to date a nice guy? <laughs> right. You know, you, those, those losers, we don't want to <laughs> date them and we don't want to raise them. Yeah. You know, so let's, but let's honor our men and hold them up and honor everybody and help them. If they fall down, pick them up. Yeah. Pick them up. Yeah. You know, walk together. That's yeah. me. I don't like, I don't like throwaway society. Let me find this musician, idolize him, and then we trash him and cancel him because yeah. we don't like something, you know? I'm yeah. saying people should be accountable for their behavior, but I also think that we need to, you know, the love that people give. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty imperfect, you know? You just asked my kids. I was laughing. <laughs> you know, I laughed because, you know, I used to go someplace. I wore pretty clothes and everything, you know, all <laughs> dress up with my jewelry. I'd walk in and people would clap. People would just clap. They clap. My kids don't clap for me. <laughs> I just have to laugh because, you know, we're human. You know, at one point, you know, we was all popular and people thought I was really smart and they'd pay me to come lecture. But you know what? I'm farming now. Yeah. Nobody claps, but I'm still me. You yeah. know? So yeah. it's okay. Don't pedestalize these people like that and I treat them good, you know? This is why the women around the world who are farming, who are doing ranching, I'm going like, here's the platform, get here so we can hear you because, and that was the thing I nearly said in the beginning, Winona, we read the bios and we say a bit about what we do, but it's, it's about communicating sphere of influence and like where people have been at because we still have a society that's like, how can I validate you? 
how can I say you're an authority in this? How can I say you have wisdom to offer, you have knowledge to offer, or you're worth X, Y, and Z? And I want to destroy that so completely because the wisest people I know are sitting on landscapes often in solitude or just with their families and that's it. And they, these are the people I would love to see in office. I would, but they don't, we have designed a culture for a certain amount of sociopathy if you need to be in power. So, um, you, this, you know, my father used to tell me, I've said this all the time, but my father, he came to see me when I was at Harvard. My father had an eighth grade education, born and raised on the White Earth Reservation. He was a ricer. He hitchhiked his way to New York and met my beautiful mother in New York City selling wild rice. But, you know, so wow. he's a smart guy, wrote books, did all kind of stuff. But he saw me at Harvard one time and he came to see me at Harvard and he said, well, no, no I don't want to hear your philosophy if you can't grow corn. I mean, yeah. you know, that's the truth. It's yeah. like it's talks cheap. People yeah. want to say all kinds of pontification. I call it actually, it's kind of first world privilege or fossil fuel privilege. Yes. You know, that yeah, you yeah, get yeah. to be like all about saying all your opinion yeah. about everything, but you don't actually got to grow your food, figure out where your clothes come from. You know, America's, we live like about a hundred slaves per household. I'd like to cut my slavery bill down a little bit. You know, the amount of, the amount of, stuff that is produced by people who are basically slaves around the world to get yes. their stuff to us yes you know or dinosaur slaves all that you know what be you done be done move on be you know put it do be, be have a little more integrity you know and part of that problem of that fossil fuel privileging where you got all this time to sit around and think about all kind of important things or what you think is important <laughs> is that you know that's privileging that's privileging yeah. you know in the meantime you know i don't know how y'all gonna eat you know, and, and while people are all talking smack, the fact is, I was telling you this before, yeah. in four months, it's going to be minus 20 here. Yeah. So I got to make sure I know how to heat my house. Yeah. So I'm interested in talking about stuff, but in the end, I got to get, you know, I got one neighbor who's got four cords of wood for me. I'm yeah. my, my young man haul it in. Yeah. You know, I could do that, but I don't want to put him to shame. You know, <laughs> so I just let a, bunch of, let, let a bunch of 13 year olds haul in that wood. You know, tell them you don't want to be, you don't have your granny show you up, huh? <laughs> but we know Winona. Um, I think that, yeah, right? No, I have no freaking doubt. I have no doubt. Um, damn, I'm totally lost. Where was I going with this? Um, my pup, my four-legged furry child is making noise now. Um, Una, settle out. Um, yeah, I think you, I, yeah, you given the term when we talked previously about affluenza and it just makes me laugh because we, you know, we got people across the board advocating for these different regenerative systems. Right. But what I'm witnessing right now, like even with the fires, it's the land stewards, it's the people living on the land, the ranchers, the indigenous communities, it's everybody who knows how to tend the earth. Though, like you don't, you don't get to call them civilian because they were all in action mode, in reciprocity, in yeah. supporting, in having each other's backs, in on the front line of the fire, trying to make sure that we were responsible and taken care of. Um, and they're incredibly pragmatic. So some voted for Trump, some voted for Bernie. You know, whatever. Like we don't. But you remove the politics. You remove all of that. Who's the vegan? Who eats meat? We don't care. Like, it's not my business. We're going to work together. And I think this is the part of living on the landscape that yeah. I'm hearing. It's kind of like, I'm going to be practical and I'm going to work and I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to love you. Um, and I'm going to allow you to be human. And I'm going to be generous and kind in that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that there's different pieces of that. I mean, everybody has their ecological crisis. And, you know, I mean, my friends out there at the Pie Ranch, I know, took a hard hit. And uh, mm. I always literally yeah. like them guys down by Santa Cruz, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. you know, good people. I mean, really, really, really good people. I got a college, uh, my college roommate lives over there. I think she's still okay. You know, but, but my, but, you know, we live in reality if we live not in a city. Like, I don't live in a place where yes. I can just go in and it's all good. I live and I look at the horizon to see what storm is coming because where I live, it matters. Yeah. You know, it matters if it's a blizzard. It matters if it's a sheer wind. It matters if it's a tornado. Yeah. It matters, you know? And so climate matters to me because I live in it. I don't live like in an air conditioned place. And I think that a lot of the challenge we face now, I do, it is affluenza. It's late stage affluenza and it's an illness. And in late stage affluenza from fossil fuels, we just keep consuming. Yeah. We just keep buying, we keep shopping, we sedate, we watch TV, internet, we make up stuff, we fantasize, we're all kind of stuff. When in the end, we all gotta drink the water. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I just wanna be real. Yeah. You know, so I'm a little bit more pragmatic maybe than some because I don't have time. I mean, I told you I was laughing. I was like, I don't even know why I'm doing this interview. So I didn't to this interview. <laughs> But I, you know, you sounded cool. So I was like, that sounds cool. And she like, see like cool idea, you know, but, but, you know, I mean, people got way more time on their hands than they would if they weren't acting like slave owners and acting like people that everything's going to come to them when they go down to their whole foods or, you yeah. know, Trader Joe's, yeah. you know, yeah. the world is... is more than that. And, and, you know, so support your local farmers and, and roll up your sleeves. And at the same time, you know, you and I, you know, I mean, California is probably not the same as Northern Minnesota. This is the deep North. This is the deep North. Make no yeah. mistake. Yeah. I'm fighting a pipeline. We're fighting a pipeline for seven years. And the Trump, <laughs> the Trump line three signs are all across the North. And those guys are, are longtime Indian haters. Yeah. You know, longtime Indian haters up here. This is like, this is the deep North. I mean, there's a lot of people that, you know, have, have been, base their lives on stealing from Indians and treating us like second-class citizens. Our arrest rates, seven times that of non-Indians, you know, yeah. and, and punitive across the board. And so when you start saying we're done, they, they push back. They're like, oh, how could that be? This is the way it is. I was like, that's the way it was. Yeah. Not anymore. We're done. Yeah. You know, we're all done together, as a matter of fact. But those guys, I will give them credit, man. I've been pulled out of the ditch by Trump supporters, too. Because yeah. in the end, like you said, it's a blizzard and you're going to die if someone don't pull you out of the ditch. So I just yeah. try to avoid getting thrown into the ditch where there's haters because that might not work so well. But Yeah, please don't do that, man. Um, it's, yeah, that was my experience at 8,000 feet in the Rocky Mountains, too, with, with some really conservative ranchers was you ask for help. Like, it's negative 20 out. You don't. We got help you, back. you. you come. Yeah, you We're come. all in the same canoe, you know, and, and, and most yeah. of these guys know exactly who I am up here. But, you know. I mean, they also know that I'm a decent person. I mean, I consider myself pretty decent. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't hate anybody. That'd be too much weight to carry around all that hate. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't got time, you know? Well, so here, I kind of want to ask you this because, you know, we keep coming back to sort of you, I think you and I hit right away that like connectivity is the, is the issue here. It's really easy to dehumanize when you're not connected. It's really easy to go, um, I'm, I'm not, you know, to even that ancestor way you're thinking, you're like, this is how I want to be as an ancestor. This is how I want to be for my ancestors you, and, and the connectivity to the earth. Um, you know, I think there's that fundamental problem is connection itself. 
Um, what I would always hear from every tribe I've worked with, whether it's the Koji in Colombia or the Saha in the Republic of Yakutia, the Maasai, or the Kashaya Pomo people here are my dear friends, um, is that they want people to remember they are indigenous to planet Earth as quickly as humanly possible. Um, and then there's the white identified community that kind of goes, oh my God, I don't want to culturally appropriate. And they're going, we're not saying take our culture and traditions. We're saying, remember that you have biophysiological, spiritual, connective pathways to Earth Mother. Yeah. She is speaking to you. Um, what do you, what can you say or speak to here, Winona, that gives, you know, that helps community that, I mean, really has lost a, what is your, their birthright? Their birthright in their cells to connect that way, and they're trying to remember it, and they don't—they don't, they don't want to, you know. And they're also then they deal with the white guilt and white shame, and they go, ah, you know, and they disconnect further. Like, I think. Yeah, yeah. that's not too helpful. No, <laughs> you know, I mean, kind of my feeling on this, to be honest with you, is is like, yeah, you know, the frontier mentality of America, like keep moving greener pastures, find some place better, pretty self-absorbed. You need to get some place and stick there and protect it, fight for it, mm. you know, and fight for it with us, you know, don't pretend like we ain't there, you know, I mean, you know, they, people, I mean, I thought it was pretty monumental when those, those idols started falling this year, you know, yeah. Columbus tipped over, man, I thought that was <laughs> great, you know, yeah. it's about time, yeah. it's about time, they should put those in a garden of shame, that's where they should put them guys, yeah. you know, take, take that, um, take that, Hudapero Sarah with you, you know, take them and put them in a garden of shame so we can look at them and understand who they were in history and then know who we are, you know, because people know this, but they don't know the people upon whose land they live. Yeah. And they don't know how to relate to them or support them, you know. Up here, we got all kind of allies, you know, on this pipeline battle. Yeah. I met people that are just impeccable, courageous people. She stood there and pointed their finger at Enbridge in the state and said, No, you're not doing this to me. And you're not doing it to my neighbors who are Ojibwe. Mm -hmm. You know, in the course of fighting seven years, the largest pipeline company in the world, Enbridge, we yeah. made a lot of friends. And we all understood we drink the same water. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we learned that. And they may be Christians. They may be Lutherans, more likely. Lutherans up here. <laughs> I got a couple of Unitarians. And, you know, but it don't matter. I don't tell people how to pray. I just say praying is probably a really good idea. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, because it, it puts you in this place of understanding you're just part of this whole world. But, you know, then the other side is, is like everybody always says, when the creator throws you a lifeboat, you better jump in. Don't wait till he tells you to jump in. You know, and I have to say that this pandemic is a portal. Take this moment and figure out what the next economy looks like. Quit despairing and trying to figure out how many Zoom meetings you're going to make today and make the next world. Now's your time. There's a pause in the windico economy there's a pause in the cannibal because they don't have the systems and it's collapsing so make the next world be I good I you know that's what know. i really think use this time you you know take this moment seize the time i think somebody said a long time ago yeah you know? and you, i love what you're saying about local acting partners and doing it locally and know that you're over there doing it in your local bio region and we're over yeah. here supporting you by doing it in ours and if yeah. we need to exchange advice we're all, information, in, it. We're all yeah. in it you know Yep, that's what I'm seeing in every single woman around the world that's showing up. Winona, yeah. thank you so freaking much. I wanna double check. 
as we head into the last couple minutes here. Somebody's asking, and I, you brought it up earlier, are you getting horse agriculture? Somebody's asking about grazing as a form of fire control, which certainly I was, we were doing goats. here in California. Go for so the goats. We Go were doing, goats. that was one of my first jobs was, was contract grazing goats and sheep with uh, Aaron. I want to be that. You know, there's so many so things I don't fun. get to be because I got to fight big corporations, you know? <laughs> I'm like, I want to be a goat All the volume. Herder. There it goes. No. Oh my God, they're so fun. They are so fun and making their goats, uh, goat milk and goat cheese. I love doing that. I want to come out there. We'll just start running herds. Are you going to do that? Are you going to run grazing animals out there? What about? Well, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to get used to the idea. And now that I don't travel, I'm getting more <laughs> ambitious. All right. You know, I just look at places and I was like, well, you should just let me handle that with my goats. No, not yet, but we're working on it. You know, I could use a lot of coaching and anybody who knows how to make cob houses, contact me at winonashemp at gmail.com. I need some cob coaching. I've got some humans I can send your way. Yeah, I'm like, we could do this cob thing. Yeah. I got I got a lot of last year's hemp fiber that is yeah. and I got a new crop coming in. And I'm like, mm. I didn't use all that fiber. And some of it is not of the highest quality that I could send to Navajo rug weavers. So what do I do with my inferior quality? I was like, cob. Mm. <laughs> Gotta try, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think we talked about, uh, at, back at Geography of Hope, when we first met, we talked about, um, about buffalo. Is that something that's viable out there? That you oh, yeah. Do? Buffalo should be all over out here. I mean, in fact, that I like the Buffalo comments. I got a book coming out. Oh my God, I forgot to tell you about my I, book. No, I want to hear about the books. I was about to so ask. I have you. a book called Come Out to Be a Water Protector. You okay. know, the, the new, the rise of the Windigo killers. That's my new book. It's coming out Columbia University Press and Fernwood Press. But I have another book I'm working on, on the new green revolution or the just transition. And Buffalo Commons, man, that's your answer. Oh. 50 million buffalo used to be where there's 28 million cattle and those cattle are not sustainable. So anyway, mm -hmm. buffalo and the tribes are doing it. There's a lot of work yep. on buffalo treaties. Yep. You know, just make it happen. Yeah. Make the future happen. Just do it. You know, don't be sitting and trying to get some PhD done on it. History's being made now. Oh, I couldn't uh, thank you enough for that last comment. It's it's time to come out of the hills of academia where not much moves at all um, and get on down. There's some amazing movement with Buffalo I'm seeing and uh, conservation work. Yeah, all kind, it. you know. And so if people want to look at Honor the Earth website, www.honorearth.org. At a woman, yep. And then there's Winona's Hemp and you can find us online or on on, on Facebook, you know, but look. You know, we're doing our best and everybody just got to do their best and pray hard. That's like my <laughs> advice, you know, and, and look out there and see who your allies are because there's a lot of allies. Yeah. You ain't look. We and ain't stuff, and, and don't hate those allies. Like, I think that's the other thing I really love about you is that like, do not hate the allies who are really in the boat with you trying to make a better world. Take a second, forgive each other, have a meeting of the minds. Let's do some healing yeah. and get moving. Yeah, let's do we got cool a lot of stuff. Great. Let's just do cool <laughs> stuff. Why, why like, you know, be all nasty to each other. Absolutely. Oh, I raised too many kids. You know, you don't want to hear that stuff. It's done. <laughs> oh. I'm going to double check questions. I think we were basically out of time. 
Um, Winona, thank you so much for the inspiration and the juice and just feeding and helping our community just kind of come together today this morning around the world and feel that heart because I think we all so need it from each other right now. So much is happening. Oh, yeah. So, no, yeah. thank you for being patient with me and my technology and, you know, <laughs> no, best to you out there. Prayers for you and your and your families. Thank right? you so much, Winona. And for yours, thank you for your heart. We so yeah. appreciate it. Okay. All right, beautiful time. I think we're going to wrap up. Anybody, if you have questions for Winona or any of uh, information, we'll be posting it in the comments next Wednesday. Uh, we do have Dr. Cindy Daly, who's the director of the Center for Regenerative Agricultural and Resilient Systems at California State University, Chico. Another incredible woman, um, an incredible heart, incredible source of inspiration, knowledge, and wisdom. Please join us then at 10 o'clock Pacific. Okay, everyone? Thank you so much for Big being witch. here. Yeah. Bye, Winona. Thank you so much.